Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Stand by to launch FanStream Sports. Three, two, one. Let's start. Hello, sports fans. Welcome to FanStream Sports. Nothing, nothing but pure sports. All right, folks, it's the Jeff Thidoff Show. I am Jeff Thidoff. Thank you so much for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at It Happens. Got a lot to get to today. Uh, FanStream Sports, by the way, powered by DSP Media. So uh, thank you very, very much for tuning in there. And again, follow me on Twitter at It Happens. Um, the college football season finished up on Monday night with Georgia defeating TCU 65 to seven in what amazingly was the biggest blowout, not only in CFP history, not only just like championship game in bowl game history, 65 to seven. And really Georgia could have made it uh, 85 to seven. If they wanted to, they dominated this game from start to finish. And it says a lot more about the, it says more about the Big 12 and the SEC, I think, than about Georgia and TCU. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, Georgia edged Ohio State in the semifinal. TCU beat a big a Michigan team in the Big 10 also. But then they get to this. There's all this talk about, you know, what conference is the best? Is the SEC the best conference top to bottom in college football? And really, the SEC and Big 10, they are the two best conferences and will continue to be that way for the foreseeable future. And this kind of further proved that. Um, uh, Michigan, to me, was... They were obviously in a close game with TCU. Michigan made some mistakes down the stretch. They tried to get too cute a few times, too many turnovers. TCU won the game. They played great. Georgia barely beat Ohio State. Ohio State, to me, is still the best team in the Big Ten. And, you know, I, I caught some pushback on that from others when the, the final rankings came out and Michigan was out of Ohio State. And I personally thought Ohio State should have been second in the final rankings. <coughs> Excuse me, my... um. I think then somebody, oh, well, Michigan beat Ohio State, so Michigan's got to be better than Ohio State. No, that's not the case. I think if you took these four teams and put them in a round-robin situation, I still think Georgia probably would have won. I think Ohio State would be two. I think Ohio State would beat both TCU and Michigan. I think that's the case. So don't give me the argument, oh, well, they beat them, so they've got to be ranked higher. So you're telling me that when App, App State beat Michigan, at the end of the season, App State should have been ranked higher than Michigan, no matter what happened, right? They should have been ranked higher than Michigan, no matter what, that's that's a bogus argument. I know Michigan beat Ohio State, um, and I know TCU beat Michigan, and then TCU loses to Georgia. So there's all oh TCU should be too. Ohio State is a better team than TCU. Ohio State's a better team than Michigan. I don't think Ohio State's better than Georgia. Um, Ohio State certainly could have won that game. Took them down to the wire. Oh, what a two touchdown lead with like eight minutes left of the game before they lost that game to Georgia. Missed the field goal at the end. Georgia's a great team. Stetson Bennett's a great college quarterback, one of the most successful college quarterbacks uh, in history. We got back-to-back titles and all the numbers he put up. I don't think he'll be a great pro, a great college quarterback, though. And hats off to Georgia, what they're able to do after losing all the players they lost in the draft for uh, 2022 draft, come back and win another national championship, undefeated run through the SEC, and then uh, defeating Ohio State the way they did, then absolutely. So those are all good things for Georgia. Uh, no argument with the fact, <coughs> excuse me, they're the best team in the, in the country this year. They deserve to be number one, deserve to win the championship. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Georgia goes from here as far as for next season now, because certainly the last two seasons, they've surpassed Alabama as the best team in college football. And as you can tell from some of the post-game interviews, that did not sit well with Nick Saban, some of the post-game analysis. Uh, I wonder if Georgia can be, be the third, be the best team in the SEC for a third consecutive season. So we have this will be we have one more season of 14 playoff after this, then we expand to the 12 team. And I'm excited about that. As long as we don't go much bigger than 12. 16, I think, is the max you can go. But um even a 14, if eight and over um TCU, you, you could have still had that type situation there. So um it, it doesn't necessarily mean it would have uh, prevented that from happening. The uh Georgia, though, again, they look like the the best team in college football all year long. And I expect that will next year will be number one um, coming into the season. They'll certainly be number one there in that one. And then uh, we'll see how the season plays out next year. They've got a week schedule next year, by the way. So uh, moving on now, let's talk about what's going on with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Jim Harbaugh came out and said that, uh, he uh, he said he expects – first, the report came out that he had a, a conversation with uh, Carolina ownership, and it wasn't an interview, just a conversation is what he said. And he came out and said he fully expects to be the head football coach in 2023 at Michigan. That is a, a weak statement that doesn't mean anything, to say you fully expect, you know, barring any unforeseen changes, I don't think I'll be anywhere but Michigan for the 2023 season. Like, look, Harbaugh, if he gets an offer – He's gone. He will leave Michigan to go back to the NFL. He wants to go back. Uh, I don't think that it's a money thing necessarily. I don't think Michigan said, oh, I'll pay you this much. I don't think he would stay at Michigan. I think he wants to be back in the NFL. The, the, the differences between being an NFL head coach and a college head coach used to be significant. There, were, there was a huge difference being a college coach and an NFL coach, and that's why you saw so many times, too, college coaches go to the NFL ranks without any NFL experience and falter. Um, and don't count Pete Carroll in that. Pete Carroll's been great for Seattle, but Pete Carroll also, remember, coached the Jets and Patriots before going back to USC and then coming back to the NFL. So he, he, you can't count him in that mix of that. You can look like Saban, Urban Meyer, uh, Steve Spurrier, guys like that that went to the NFL. Lou Holtz. God, Lou Holtz was the coach for the Jets. Um, I, I can't remember which school he left to go, but he went to the Jets and didn't even last the whole season. He was like Bobby Petrino, also another guy, did not last a full season in the NFL before jetting back to the college ranks. So um, you will – so my point is there used to be a huge difference between college coach and NFL head coach. Now it's not so much of a difference anymore because of NIL and because you're now in – the, in the NFL, you're coaching men who have millions of dollars and they've got all these other outside interests. But in college now with the NIL, there is so much more, and plus the free agency – the college will used to have, or NFL used to have the college free agency, or the free agency thing, I'm sorry. NFL had free agency. College, guys were locked in. They had to stay there. You can't leave. There's no transfer. Now the way guys can move around, college football has become just like the NFL in many ways, where you can change your roster drastically every single year through um, the transfer portal in college. So it's not that big of a difference. The biggest difference now is college football, you're recruiting year-round, and you're dealing with millionaire young kids. At NFL, you are you do some time off, but free agency is important. You also have a GM who does a lot of that stuff. You have an input in it, have say in it. They are making a lot of money, but they're also grown men. So 
there, there, there's not so much of a difference now. Almost like the NFL now is even, even more attractive than it was before compared to college. So Harbaugh, I think, will go. Um, and I don't know who the next head coach for Michigan would be. I was trying to think of names I could put out there. I don't know if Michigan could do better than Harbaugh right now. The program's on an upswing for sure. But there are certain boxes Harbaugh checks that are <coughs> different than that are boxes that other coaches can't check. First and foremost, he's loved in Michigan. Great career there. A Shem Beckler guy. Understands the tradition. Um, he is a Michigan, uh, former Michigan quarterback, come home and do well, is what it was. There's not many guys out there. No, no one can check that box as far as Michigan coaches go. Look at the quarterbacks they've had. There's not a, court, a former quarterback who had a lot of success who played for Shed Beckler who can come back and be a head coach. Can you find a Michigan man? Maybe. Can you find a Michigan man with Harbaugh's coaching credentials? No. And that's where the difference is in that. Michigan will try like, like hell to keep him, I have to believe. But they also are probably fed up with Harbaugh's constant flirtation with the NFL. He wanted the Vikings jobs la- job last year, did not get it. So he came back to Michigan and said, you know what? That was a one-time thing. I'm ready now. I'm with Michigan. And now apparently it's not a one-time thing because he's talked to Carolina. He's going to talk to Denver. I think he's already, maybe already talked to Denver. Indy's going to make a play for him. So it's, I think it's inevitable it's going to be a breakup there between Harbaugh and Michigan. I don't know who they will get <coughs> that would be better than Harbaugh for that program. Anybody who ever wants to argue, switching gears a little bit, about college football players and the fact they can transfer out is bad, it's not right, they should have to stay where they're at. Uh, the argument for me has always been that, well, coaches can come and go whenever they want to. Coordinators can come and go when they want to, take other jobs and whatnot. And uh, that, that's always been my pushback. on, Look, let college kids do what's best for them. Let them go to a situation that is best for them, that will help them thrive and get them to the next level. So, Obviously, we see what's happening now in college football where guys can leave all the time. There's thousands of names in the portal every single year, guys that move on uh, to other programs. And it's like like I told you before, it's free agency in college football. And now Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino in January was hired at UNLV. By the way, former Arkansas coach, uh, you know, he took the Vikings job before out of Louisville. And not the Falcons job when he was coaching at Louisville. Let's back up. Bobby Petrino was a head coach at Arkansas, had a lot of success there. Took the head coaching job for the Falcons. I want to be here. I want to be here long term. Da 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 da. And then quits before the season ends to take the head coaching job at Arkansas. Has an incident in Arkansas where he's on a motorcycle, has an accident with a mistress on board with him. Denied things first, and they were all kind of cover up. Ends up getting let go by them. Uh, Petrino's bounced around in college football a little bit now in coordinator positions. And in January, he took a job with UNLV to be their offensive coordinator. And uh, all excited about this, you know, Petrino, big name coach going to UNLV in January of this year, you know, just to now to be the, the head coach. And in December, I think the job in January was supposed to um, like officially start and all that. And now Petrino's already left that job after just a couple of weeks and is heading to Texas A&M for the same job. The lack of loyalty of coaches. And I'm not blaming Petrino for doing this. I think it's, I think it's kind of shitty to take the job and then leave two weeks later. That part's kind of shitty, but, I also know Petrino's trying to do what's best for him. And the offensive coordinator job at Texas A&M is worlds better than the offensive coordinator job at UNLV. He used UNLV. That part I don't I don't necessarily care for, but he should always be looking for his next best opportunity, just like college football players should be doing as well. So I'm okay with Petrino, with a with coach doing what's best for himself. I think it was choppy the way he handled it, but this is also, though, why players 
should be allowed to move around as they need to to better their situation. So um, Petrino, the new offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, he, he does have a great offensive mind. He's put up some really impressive um, offenses in every stop, uh, maybe save for Atlanta with the NFL, which we clearly overmatched. So it's a good hire for Texas A&M as far as getting an offensive person in. It's not a good hire as far as character goes, I don't believe, but uh, we'll see how that works out uh, with Texas A&M. They obviously, look, they, they, um, they're coming off a rough season this past year for them, and uh, they need to bounce back, and Petrino can certainly help them do that. We'll see how long he's there, if he's there long-term or not. All right, let's switch over to the NFL. And uh, Lovey Smith of the Houston Texans goes into week 18, 17th game of the season against Indianapolis Colts. The Texans lose. They will get the number one pick in the draft. And they clearly need a quarterback, so they will get their choice. If they lose to Indianapolis, they will get their choice of which quarterback they want to lead this franchise going forward. And uh, Lovey Smith met with the team beforehand. There's been talk about the fact that they may uh, make a change at the head coaching position. And Lovey Smith met with them. I'm not sure what all happened in the conversation. I, I do know that he did not come out of it feeling like, hey, I've got this job next year too. I can understand it's his first year on the job with uh, with Houston. If they just had a one-year guy before that with David Culley, who they let go. So you would think Houston might want to have some stability. And maybe it makes sense to give Lovey Smith a second a second year with a new quarterback coming in. Steve can turn the franchise around and give them some stability. For whatever reason, though, Lovey left that meeting with the Texans before week 18 and didn't feel like either knew he wasn't going to be the head coach next year or didn't feel like he had a great opportunity to do it. Goes in to play the Indianapolis Colts. And again, a loss. All they have, If they lose, if they tie, if they lose or tie, they get the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft. So uh, they're playing the Colts tough. Complete some weird bomb at the end of the game. They get down. They score. Um, the game's going to end now. They can kick an extra point to tie the game or then go for two and win it. Again, a tie. They still get the number one pick in the draft. Lovey Smith sends his offense back on the field, gets a two-point conversion. The Texans win a meaningless game. Absolutely meaningless for them other than the fact it's a meaningless win. <coughs> it would have been a, a great loss or tie for the franchise. A meaningless win, though. They beat the Colts, and now they have the number two pick. The Bears have the number one pick. The Bears could easily trade out of that to somebody who wants a quarterback, which would mean the Texans would not get the number one quarterback. They might get their favorite quarterback, but they would not They would not have their pick, though, of all the quarterbacks if the Bears trade out of that. So Lovey Smith in beating the Colts, hurt the franchise for the Texans, helped his former team, the Chicago Bears, we was at for a long time. And it's a huge mistake's not the word I want to use. Lovey Smith could have kicked the extra point and saved face still. He went for two as a big double bird middle finger to the organization. Like, I'm going to show you. It did not. He. I don't want teams to deliberately lose. Okay. I, I understand tanking when you have a chance. But people say, oh, you've got to win every game. Win every game. Win every game. Integrity for winning every game. Okay. The game is not just the 60 minutes on the field on a Sunday. That's not the only game. The game in the NFL is the entire scope of things, including the draft, multiple seasons, the future. There are so many things involved with the game. So if they would, if he would have gone for the extra point, 
he might not be trying to, at that point, he's obviously not trying to win that game, but he might be winning the game for the Houston Texans, if that makes sense. I So the NFL is set up, they it's set up to encourage, if you're a bad team, to lose badly, lose a lot. The worst thing you can be in the NFL is a mediocre team. Nine and eight, eight and nine every year. That's awful. You want to be either elite or really bad. Really bad gets you top draft picks. Really bad gets you the opportunity to rebuild and reshape the organization easier. If you're eight and nine, nine and eight, usually it's not going to happen. So Lovey Smith, I think, should have kicked the extra point. Not gone for two. The tie, like I say, still gets the Texas number pick, and they get it's a non-loss on the last week of the season. I understand Lovey Smith why he did it. I'm saying I wouldn't have done it. Uh, the Texans, if they had, if they go into the game with Indianapolis and they already know Lovey Smith's not our guy, then fire him before the game. Get a different coach out there and say, look, compete. Um, losing's not a bad thing in this game. Compete hard, but again, losing or tying is not a bad thing in this game. Make it very clear with your directive with him. Lovey Smith did not have that directive because he, I think he knew in the back of his mind he was gone anyway. So he did this, and it, 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 it hurts the Texans. Winning hurts the Texans, which is the way the model set in the NFL, that's going to happen sometimes. I think that um, – I'm not saying you should tank, but I'm saying you need to look at the big picture of the game and what the game really is and then decide – what the appropriate steps are. He could have absolutely kicked the extra point and tied that game. Uh, a couple hours after the game, Lovey Smith was, as expected, fired by the Texans now. But the damage is done as far as, look, they look bad because it's two years ago they fired a coach after one year. David Culley and now Lovey Smith, both gone after just one year, and they're trying to bring a new head coach in. You won't have the number one pick in the draft. The Bears hold all the cards now. I expect the Bears to trade back get some massive assets for a team that wants to move up and get the quarterback they want. The Texans will have, it might be their best quarterback, but they will have the second quarterback off the board, whoever that may be. Um, other news in the NFL, uh, Cliff Kingsbury gets fired by the Cardinals. He came in from the college ranks. We talked about the college and NFL, how a lot, not a lot of guys are successful making that jump. Kingsbury clearly was not. They did make the playoffs. I had a great start last year in 2021 and um, was looking really good at midseason. Then started to fall apart, got blown out in the uh, NFC playoffs by the Rams. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, 2021 it would have been. And then, um, uh, you know, injuries with Kyler Murray, the, the whole offseason debacle with Kyler Murray and the contract language about him having, making him do uh, study time and how that was handled. Cardinals look bad this year. There's talk they might trade DeAndre Hopkins, but the Cardinals now in search of a new head coach. There will be more openings coming. Indianapolis is not announced for sure, but Jeff Saturday, I don't believe, will be retained there. Carolina, um, you know, I think they'll still probably go out. They've got Steve Wilkes there now, who did okay um, after taking over from Matt Rule. I think he'll move on, or they'll, they'll move on from him probably and try to get another another guy in there. Denver needs a coach. Indy, like I said, is going to need a coach as well. Um, we will see what other coaching jobs open up. A couple of teams in the playoffs, I think, could potentially make changes if they lose in the first round. The first one, Brendan Staley for the uh, L.A. Chargers. Look, he was playing in a meaningless game also in Week 18, and Mike Williams got hurt in that game, his wide receiver. the oft-injured Mike Williams. He should have been out there in the first place. He played Herbert well into the end of that game. It made no sense because the game meant nothing. That, again, a poor decision by a head coach 
that could have, if Williams looks like he'd be okay for this week, but if Williams is going to miss time and miss any playoff games, that would have been terrible. Early in the year, Staley was playing Justin Herbert when he could barely throw, when he had the rib injuries that he had. And so Staley's made a lot of really weird decisions. Back to the playoffs now. I think if the Chargers lose to Jacksonville this weekend, I think Staley could be gone. And that's the kind of job that Sean Payton would like. Um, the other job that could open up at Mike McCarthy in Dallas if they lose to Tampa Bay. Dallas got absolutely steamrolled by Washington in Week 18 in a game when the Cowboys were still playing for something. They were still they still had a chance, and that game kicked off of winning the NFC East and getting the number one seed overall. They still had a chance to do that, and they looked awful. Dak Prescott was terrible. Special teams made big mistakes. They were not mentally focused, it looked like, in that game, and Washington took advantage of that. If they lose big, I think McCarthy could be gone. Now, Jerry Jones has come out. A couple things he said. One, he said that you know his job is safe regardless. Another thing he said was that uh, this game will not affect Mike McCarthy's job status. All fine and good to say those things. You can say them all you want. If they go out and get blown out by Tampa Bay, though, I think it's a different conversation. And that's if I'm Sean Payton, those are two jobs. Dallas and the Chargers are the two that would intrigue me. I don't want any part of Indy because you have unstable ownership there and meddling ownership. I don't want any part of that. Arizona, I don't want to be tied to Kyler Murray. I don't want to be tied to Russell Wilson in Denver. You know, those, those jobs right there don't really appeal to me. Carolina, not really either. If I'm Sean Payton, an established Super Bowl winning head coach with a great long career, then um, you can pick and choose where you want to go. You can you can wait another year if you want to. But eventually a job will open up that is perfectly suited for you. I think those two jobs are Dallas <coughs> and the Chargers. So I do think that um, that if one of those open up, Sean Payton would be all over that and try to get those jobs. Uh, the NFL playoffs going on this weekend. And um, Miami backed in. They got they back in. They won. They beat the Jets to get in. We're not sure if two is going to play this week. Tua Tagovailoa battling concussion symptoms still. Uh, they play at Buffalo. Even if Tua plays, I think they're going to lose to Buffalo. That being said, I don't think Tua should play. This goes beyond football as far as his health goes now. He suffered some scary concussions in, in a short period of time, too. It's not like this is over a 10-year career. He's had a couple concussions. Just like this year, a couple of very scary incidents when it came to Tua. Miami should not play him in this game, even if he clears protocol. Tua should not, Tua, someone should take his helmet away. His family should not want him to play in this game against Buffalo. And the reason being, it's just, you've got to start thinking long-term for him. Is Tua going to be, an, is, his, is his concussion symptoms, concussions, um, that he's had, is it going to affect him long-term in the NFL and beyond the NFL? So you got to start thinking about those kinds of things when it comes to Tua. There's no way I play Tua at all this playoff season. If you want, you know, give him the whole offseason, see how he's doing next year, maybe bring him back and then see where he's at. But there's no reason to play him this week when Buffalo takes on Miami. Jacksonville and the Chargers. Jacksonville hosting the Chargers in a playoff game. Uh, three teams from the state of Miami in the playoffs for the first time since 1990. But uh, Jacksonville's in it, Tampa Bay, obviously, and Miami. Uh, this will be a fun game to watch because of both teams got young quarterbacks and Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, who are highly hyped and people love them. Both teams have got decent offenses and decent defenses as well. So uh, Jacksonville hosting a playoff game after where they were at just a year ago under Urban Meyer, it seems very odd to me. Uh, the Chargers, though, 
are a scary, dangerous team. But this is a game I don't know who's going to win. That's what makes it most intriguing to me. One of the games, uh, one of the two games I really want to make sure I watch this weekend because um, it's. I, I think there's a lot of intrigue with that, with the dynamics of the, um, the, the neither team has had playoff success in any kind of memory, recent memory. And Jacksonville getting to host a playoff game. I'm curious what the atmosphere will be like in that game and also how Herbert will perform in Lawrence in his first postseason game, again, just a year after where they were at with Urban Meyer. Uh, also, the other AFC game I really want to watch is the Bengals hosting the Ravens. That game's on Saturday or Sunday night. I think it was Sunday night to the Bengals and the Ravens. And I don't think Lamar Jackson will play. It looks like it, it might be Huntley back out there again, but um, the, the Bengals are playing with an, an amazing swagger. And even though they are not the number one seed in the AFC, they've got the they've proven and they've got the moxie of I, we don't care who we're going to play or where we're going to play them. We're going to win. And this Bengals team has taken on this personality of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And uh, they've got great offensive weapons. I love the Joe Mixon, Samaje P. Ryan combination in the backfield. Defense is playing better. They just beat the Ravens. Granted, it was a Ravens team that was uh, depleted by injuries and guys sitting out like J.K. Dobbins getting ready for the playoffs. I think the Bengals, though, win this game. Um, I think the Bengals get a win for the in the AFC. I think the Bills get a win. And the Jaguars charge is really a toss-up for me. Switching over to the NFC, uh, Buccaneers-Cowboys uh, standalone game on Monday night in Tampa. Dallas, despite having a better record, has to play at Tampa because the Buccaneers won the NFC South. Uh, Brady in, could be his last game ever. We don't know. We don't have a play next year. Uh, or if it's his last game, Tampa Bay could be that as well. Taking on Dallas, a Dallas team that looked awful against the Commanders on um, on this past weekend on Sunday. I, I think that Dallas will, will win the game. I think it'll be close, though. It would not surprise me if Tampa Bay won. Just like the Jacksonville Chargers game, this game is really a toss-up for me on who's going to win this one. Um, but I think that I think Dallas wins it, but it would not surprise me to see Tom Brady go out there and beat Tom Brady again and uh, throw the ball around and um, and cause problems for Dallas. Press, Dak Prescott looked really bad. I think he was like 13 of 38 or some ridiculous number like that um, in their game against Commanders and looked very confused out there and very overmatched, which does not bode well for Mike McCarthy's job status. But that game coming up, other NFC playoff games this weekend – um, you're going to have <clears throat> uh, you're going to have the Seahawks. Uh, I'm sorry, the um, the Vikings taking on the Giants will be one of them, and uh, the the Vikings. You never know with Kirk Cousins what kind of team you're going to get. I think the Vikings win this game. As much as uh, I've been impressed with Daniel Jones and how he's played, I still think that it is a a game the Vikings will win. Them being that Saquon Barkley's had a fantastic year for the Giants, but I do think that the Vikings end up prevailing in this game. I don't think the Giants have an answer for Justin Jefferson, and he has a big game. Vikings win this one. Seahawks, 49ers, and the other one. The 49ers, to me, are the best team in the in the NFC, and they are doing it the way the Ravens used to do it when they would have just average quarterback play and rely on a stout defense. Uh, the difference is that Kyle Shanahan is a much better offensive mind than the Ravens ever had, and so he finds a ways, finds ways to make Brock Purdy successful. You have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield there still, so – I think the 49ers win this game. Um, I think the 49ers are the best team in the NFC. And I hope you get a chance to see like a 49ers Bengals Super Bowl. It'd be fun for me to watch that one, I believe. Uh, but we're a long ways off on that one. Uh, Buffalo, um, obviously, the Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City, they're the top three teams in the AFC in some order. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Aaron Rodgers for the Packers. Look, they had a chance to get into the playoffs with a win at home against the Lions on Sunday night and could not get it done. 
that says a lot about the Lions who are playing a game that means nothing to them as far as they were already eliminated from the playoffs. So good for the Lions for showing up and playing hard and ending Aaron Rodgers' season. Rodgers, after the game, he was asked um, for his jersey, uh, which uh, uh, by Jamison, the wide receiver for the Lions. And Rodgers said, no, I think I'm going to keep this one, which led to more speculation of, well, you know, I wouldn't keep a jersey after a loss, like for sentimental reasons, unless it might be your last game you ever played, which could be the case with Aaron Rodgers. I, I think Aaron Rodgers will do what he usually does, and that would be to be very um, evasive when talking about his plans going forward. I think he'll uh, consider playing for other teams. I think that's a real possibility. The Raiders are a possibility. I don't think the 49ers are. I think the 49ers are happy with where they're at. But I think the Raiders are certainly a possibility um, for Aaron Rodgers reading out Devontae Adams. So um, the Titans could be a possibility as well, maybe the Jets. So I, I think Rodgers is probably done in Green Bay. <clears throat> if I had to guess, I think he's done in Green Bay. Not necessarily done for his career, but could be done for his career. We'll see what happens as the offseason unfolds. But uh, Rodgers and the, and the Packers, Rodgers especially, looked quite mortal uh, most of this season. Last year, he signed a three-year, $105 million deal with the Twins that had opt-outs after each season for him. It was team opt or player options all three years. He could opt out after the first year, I guess two years, opt out the second year, after the third year, be a free agent. So it was heavily heavily leaned in the favor of the player, of Carlos Correa. He certainly played his first year with uh, Minnesota in 2022, had a great year, and then opted out, as I expected he would, after that first year. Then in December, on the 13th, he signed a 13-year, $350 million deal with the Giants. The Giants were ecstatic about it. This is the piece. This is one of the, after missing out on Aaron Judge, this is the guy they really wanted was Carlos Correa. And bring him on, bring him on board. He's our shortstop of the future. He's the piece we needed. And 13 years, 350 is a huge commitment. But the Giants make it. They announce it. We're going to sign Carlos Correa. He's coming here. And then a week later, when he's supposed to sign his deal, there's uh, the Giants uh, postponed a press conference. There was something in the medical records that was concerning to the Giants. And then the next day, the Mets signed him to a 12-year, $315 million deal. So now all of a sudden, Correa's like, you know what? The hell with you, Giants. Even though the Giants said, we found something here. We want to talk about it. Carlos Correa said, nope, I'm gone. And he goes to the Mets, 12 years, 315. Mets are super excited. There's not going to be any problems, the Mets said. He's our shortstop. This is what we want. He's going to move to third base uh, because we got Francisco Lindor playing shortstop. They're friends. We're excited. The Mets needed this. This is a huge thing for the Mets. Then just a couple of days later, it comes out that the Mets are a little bit concerned about the medical reports because there was a leg injury that Correa had uh, back in 2014 as a minor leaguer. And so they still had some concerns over that. It was dealing with his um, ankle and right lower leg. So the Mets were like, well, let's just kind of tap the brakes on this. And there were negotiations reportedly going on between the Mets and Correa about maybe restructuring the deal somehow to where they had the Mets had protection if this injury causes problems for Correa. And that happened back on Christmas Eve when that report came out that they were concerned about it through their um, through the physical they had, through all the medical reports. The Mets had some concerns about Carlos Correa. So it's been pretty silent lately. Then a few teams reported a few teams had reached out and had tried to talk to Correa and Scott Boris' agent about maybe uh, making an offer to them. By the way, the Twins, after Correa opted out of the three-year $105 million deal, after he opted out after year one of that, the Mets offered him 10 years, 285. 
And Correa turned that down, took the Giants uh, contract, and then obviously that fizzled out, took the Mets contract, that fizzled out. Well, now it comes out yesterday that Correa is back in Minnesota, six years, $200 million. And again, still pending some physical things, but I got to believe the Twins, they wouldn't do this unless they were already okay with it. They had him last year. They know a lot about him. So I think this one's going to stick. But you look, Correa signed uh, two years, or two contracts, 113, 112, one for 350 million, one for 315 million. That's $675 million contracts he signed that he never really signed, that he agreed to, but never really signed. And then uh, 665, I should say. And then now he ends up back in Minnesota, six years, 200 million. And I hope the Twins have found a way to protect themselves because apparently there's enough of a red flag here somewhere with Carlos Correa's injury history that um, that there's reasons why teams have backed off of. Look, the Giants and Mets, they both really wanted this to work. They wanted this to work. They were Both organizations were extremely excited about having Carlos Correa on their teams. He was going to be face of the franchise, difference maker type of player. So in situations like that, the Giants and Mets are both looking for reasons to keep him. They're not trying to find a way to get out of the contract. They were excited they, got, they won the Carlos Correa sweepstakes. They were looking for ways to make it work. They were not, they did not want to find a reason to not make it work. So that tells you, tells me that there had to be something in the medical reports that was pretty significant. Twins don't seem to care. Six years, 200 million. We'll see what happens if there's any kind of like uh, protection for the twins on that. But uh, that is it for today's JT show, Jeff Thidoff show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I appreciate it. And, um, uh, we'll do another one here coming up, but uh, there's a lot to get into again. We've got so much NFL playoffs. We got a lot more we can talk about that and break those games down. NBA, we barely t- didn't even touch on that. NBA is having a weird season with how many uh, guys are scoring for 40, 50, 60 points. It's been uh, fun to watch. We'll talk about it next on the Jeff Thidoff Show. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Thid Happens. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is FanStream Sports, uh, the Jeff Thidoff Show, powered by DSP Media. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.